4: What's the status here? Search has been called off. They say the Marriott's gonna go too until it's more stable. We're out. This whole thing is crap, man.
3: Our guys are in there. They're dying in there. It's like God made a curtain with the smoke. Shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see.
4: All right, no big.
5: Made the biggest mistake when I thought about my unborn child. When I thought about my wife, and the answer rang out clear. Somewhere up above, no greater gift is man.
4: Welcome, everyone. I'm Scott McAfee. I took that clip from the World Trade Center starring Nicolas Cage. Very powerful movie if you haven't seen it. I am the owner of Don's Bicycle Store in Rialton, Redlands, and I'm filling in Fred Hoffman this week. Ed is on vacation. He'll be back next week. I do need to make my normal disclaimer, and that is I am not a professional radio talk show host. No, just an incredible simulation. Actually, the fact of the matter is I'm just a regular person just like you, but I'm very politically incorrect, And I have a big fat mouth, and I'm not afraid to use it, which of course makes me the perfect fill-in host for Ed. But before we get down to business, I do need to point out the sponsor of the show, the founder of The Feast, if you would. And that, of course, is Summit Funding, your home loan experts. If you're interested in getting involved with any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call Ed at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Day or night, 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with Ed and you don't want to talk on the phone, visit edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo to be connected to Ed's lending page. Put in as much information as you want, and you'll hear back from Ed or one of his talented teammates. If there's any part of the show that you want repeated, go to edhoffman.net and click on the podcast page and listen to it on demand anytime. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Be sure to connect with the show on social media as well. You can follow Ed on Twitter, at Ed Hoffman where he tweets about current events all week long and like the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the main event at Hoffman. So it's great to be back. Actually, it's been months since Well, I was on the show last week with Katie Hopkins, but it's been a long time since I've been on the show, a long time since I've hosted and joining me in studio today is my favorite co-host, Jodie Swan, a.k.a. That Conservative Girl. Jody. welcome back to the house.
6: Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah,
4: you're getting kind of itchy to get back on the mic, yeah? Totally. It's been a really long time for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's good to have you back. And we are actually recording on 9-11. We record on Fridays. You'll probably be hearing this show on either Saturday or Sunday, depending on when you're listening. But it, definitely it is, you know, it's it's been almost 20 years. I can't believe it's almost our 20th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, obviously one of the most uh, tragic and defining moments in our nation's history. And as I'm sitting here, as I'm driving into the studio, I'm thinking, have we forgotten this lesson? Have we forgot 9-11? Are we even teaching 9-11 anymore? I mean, I don't know what kids are learning. You have actually, what, three kids or two two kids in the school system currently? So I homeschool my kids. You do, okay. I
6: would never just throw them to the sharks Good for in the you. California school system. But, you know, I don't think that A lot of their friends are learning about it. I was 13 on 9-11 and I vividly remember that morning. My dad was a pilot. So I remember, yeah, he was flying that day. So I recall waking up early and my mom just standing in front of our television set. And at that time, I think it was one of those big box TVs. And, you know, she was glued, glued to the screen and I didn't know what had happened yet. And I I asked her for something breakfast or something. I was a kid and she, you know, shush, you know, she was glued to the TV to see what was going on and couldn't get in touch with my dad. So I had very vivid memories of that morning growing up. But I think that kids today are totally out of touch with it.
4: Well, yeah, and I, I like you. I remember where were you on nine eleven. Certainly, I remember, and at the time, thinking, okay, well, this must have been an accident. You know, when you had a, what appeared to be a plane that flew into a building, and then the second plane hit, and then then the Pentagon. The plane flew into the Pentagon, and at that point, you're thinking, what in the hell is going on mm-hmm. here? Is this, this, it was like the end of the world, yeah, almost. And then the fourth plane went down in that field in, in Pennsylvania, and and I remember at the time just like. Well, you know, you, you again, you thought it was the end of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. what is going on here? And but I do remember a lot of other things about 9-11 as well, because that was definitely a turning point for me personally. And I'll share that with you in a second. But but I do recall how unified we were afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really, really came together as a nation. And I remember that there were flags everywhere, flags in everyone's cars. I remember seeing Congress, including Nancy Pelosi, uh, singing America, <laughs> the beautiful on the Capitol steps um, and and at that time, shortly thereafter, uh I recall Bush's approval ratings were like ninety percent. But nine eleven also marked for me a conversion, a political conversion. And I'm always fascinated by conversion stories, whether we're talking somebody that converts to another religion or somebody that converts to a different political ideology. Because whenever that happens, my first question is, why? You know, what was sure. it that turned you around? Prior to nine eleven, I was a Democrat. I voted for Al Gore as well as Bill Clinton. I don't have, this is really embarrassing for me to admit. Very embarrassing. Very, it's humiliating actually. (laughs) And I'm using it just to illustrate a point, but I was a Democrat. I voted uh, for Gore. And, and I remember at that time, you know, once the realization of what happened settled in, I know as an American, I wanted revenge. I -hmm. wanted to know who did this Mm -hmm. and I wanted them to pay dearly. And I wanted the world to know that this would never, ever happen again. Mm -hmm. So I recall very clearly uh Bush speaking on the rubble and uh and telling everyone, you know, whoever brought these buildings down will hear from us very soon mm-hmm. and becoming a, definitely a fan of George Bush. I thought how he handled nine eleven was was really good. He said all the right things. Um, we were ready to demonstrate to the world we weren't going to – people were going to pay for this. People were going to pay for this. Now, granted, going over there and trying to nation-build in Afghanistan, not probably a good idea. I think Bush should have secured our borders at that point. He had a great opportunity. He could have gotten bipartisan support to secure our borders, and he didn't. So we can, we can pick at things that were done wrong. But, but certainly at the time, you know, that's when I switched over to the right – and mm-hmm. haven't looked back since.
6: That's very interesting. I never knew that was the moment for yeah, you. Yeah,
4: that was it. And I've even had people on the left, friends of mine, that say, well, what was it? Because I told them, look, I used to be a Democrat. And they're like, well, what what changed your mind? I said, 9-11. They're like, oh, okay. Almost like they maybe understood. So, but that was that was it. Um, well, lots of things going on. this week. And by the way, the second half of the show, we're going to play, and I'll remind you at the end, but we're going to play a... Um, a memorial clip that Ed had put together for 9-11. It's very powerful, so hopefully you can stick around with us for the second half of the show. But we do need to talk about some things that are going on this past week. The big news of the week is that President Trump, like the last five presidents before him, made a mistake <laughs> by trusting Washington Post reporter Bob Woodward of Watergate fame with an interview of his upcoming book. And, it, yeah, I don't know why that the president would sit down with this guy knowing that he's going to write a book, and, it, man, it'd be flattering. But I don't know. I don't know maybe he just wants to get the story out maybe trust people I don't know in Trump's case it was nine hours of interviews that included some never- before claims from the president on the coronavirus uh, the first one is that of President Trump the first one is that President Trump long before the rest of the public did that the corona 19 is an airborne virus can we play the first clip
0: goes through air, Bob. That's always tougher
1: than the touch. You know, the touch, you don't have to touch things, right? But the air, you just breathe the air. And
2: that's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your
1: even your strenuous flus.
4: Well, I know that there was a lot of that's been made of, of this interview and all of these clips. And I'm like, I don't really hear anything, at least in that clip, that I thought was outrageous or even a true.
6: No, I mean, you know, I get like, OK, why would Trump sit down with Bob Woodward? But at the same time, he's so authentic. That's his thing. That's why we love Donald Trump is he's authentic. He's not trying to hide anything. You know, all of his skeletons are out there, really. And we've already demonized him for them. So what's he going to lose by sitting down with this guy and just being honest about what he knows? And if there was nine hours, of interview and this is the worst that they got yeah. are you kidding me like how hard did they have to try to sit down and just like scour and sit through and listen to every comment that he made and this this is like the flaming what right. this is the worst
4: they could come up with well pretty much and you and you guess you're right in that trump doesn't shy away from what could potentially be hostile interviews. And right. I think, yeah, he I, has
6: them every day.
4: Right? The press. They're called press conferences. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I know they even pointed out like how many press conferences Joe Biden has had, as opposed to Trump. And I think Biden's had like seven or something. <laughs> you know, which is probably good for Biden because the more you hear from him, the less you probably think he's capable of running a lemonade stand let alone the country. <laughs> um, this the second clip is that of the president downplayed the threat. Uh, to avoid creating a public panic in a time when Americans were already frightened, can we play that clip, please? Well, I think Bob really, to be yeah. honest with you. Sure, I want you to. I be. wanted to. Uh,
5: I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes,
2: yeah, because I don't want to create a panic.
4: Well, Again, kind of makes, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that kind of That's makes what sense. What a leader does. And I guess when I think about it, what would? What would anybody did they want the president to say, hey, we've got this terrible virus and we don't have any treatment for it. And it's rampant. It's going to kill a bunch of people. What impact would that statement have had on the country at the time?
6: Well, of course. And like, look at states like our state here that just reacted (laughs) in a panic, shut everything down. Everything is still shut down. So we believe I'm still talking about this. I know we've racked our economy. At this point. And then you have states like South Dakota that were like, it's going to be fine. It's just like a flu, whatever. Wear a mask if you want. We're not shutting things down. And their economy has not taken a dive, a hit at all. And they've had a couple people die, relatively speaking. I mean, last time I checked, I think South Dakota had
4: maybe 100 people die. Oh, okay. Well, and, and, and as you said, all, what would we we'd have mass panic? We'd have looting, we'd have rioting, people, you know, destroying uh, department stores and, and grocery <laughs> stores to get stuff. Yeah. So you you can incite a lot of panic. So I think it makes perfect sense to not to not that doesn't help. How does panic no. help with anything? Uh, meanwhile, Joe Biden is leveraging this to his advantage and upping the rhetoric with criminal accusations. Of course, he is. Can we play he the Biden? He waved a
1: white flag. He walked away. He didn't do a damn thing. Think about it. Think about what
6: he did not do. And it's almost criminal.
4: I will say one thing for Joe. That's probably the most coherent sentence I've heard come out of his mouth in a while. It
6: was a coherent sentence. It was a lie, but (laughs) we'll give him that. It was a coherent sentence.
4: It was. It probably took him 10 takes to get it right, (laughs) but that's okay. The president is defending his comments to Woodward, reminding us that like Pelosi, Dr. Fauci, and just about everyone else, Biden was also downplaying the threat of the virus when it first emerged.
0: I'm the leader of the country. I can't be jumping up and down and scaring people. I don't want
2: to scare people. I want people not to panic. And that's exactly what I did. And
1: if you look at the representatives of Joe Biden, you see what they were saying. They said, no problem. This won't be a problem. He didn't think it was going to be a problem until months later.
0: He was way late.
4: And as I recall, he also criticized President Trump for shutting down the borders with China, shutting down, you know, any any air travel coming in from China at the time, saying that was xenophobic. Yeah. So did did he do nothing or did he do something that you're mad about?
6: It's, you know, he can't win.
4: You can't have it both ways. Joe. Right. And a couple of things, too. And as a business owner, I mean, obviously, I've been watching this thing play it out and I haven't been on Ed's show to really comment on it. But, you know. We, as as a bicycle store, have been allowed to operate normally because we fall under the health and transportation category. And, and it's been crazy, crazy, stinking busy is what it's mm-hmm. been because since people's options of what to do have been narrowed tremendously, there's no sporting events. The gyms are closed. If you want any kind of cardio, you're either hiking, you're walking, you're running, or you're riding a bike. So mm-hmm. we've had a massive influx in people getting into cycling. Um, And yeah, that's been great. But I'll also share quite honestly, this has not been a joyful time at all for me. I know driving home on the 10 freeway, uh, I'll go by the Montclair Plaza and I see JC Penney's and I see Nordstrom's and I see Barnes and Nobles and I see LA fitness. It's a freaking ghost town. Mm -hmm. And it just makes me want to cry because I think of all those businesses that have just been destroyed, small, medium and large. And the question in my mind is, When when are any of these companies coming back? And I can't believe that we're still talking. What are we like? We're middle of September now. And there's no end in sight. I'm not hearing anything from the governor in terms of, hey, things are going to open up fully on this date, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and, and the only things that are open are riots and demonstrations, I think, at this point. Yeah. But, you know, how many of these businesses are just not coming back? I, I feel for restaurants, especially those that can't have outdoor seating. Yeah. What are these restaurants going to do when it's 100 stinking degrees outside, or when the air is too filthy and smoky like it is right now, where anybody right. wants to sit outside? Uh, I went and we actually picked up sushi last night at a restaurant we go to, and there's like two employees in there. Ugh. You know, and you're just like... I, my heart just aches for these people, and I remember again as a business owner thinking to myself: At what point? At what what date is is the keeping things shut down going to do more damage than than opening up? Because we have to make that decision, right? We're either looking at has. we're either looking at maybe some people dying or getting very sick, or, or we're looking at destroying the economy. But there has to come a point in time where we say, "Okay, this is the point." For me, I put a date of June first. It's like if you go past June first, you're going to be doing. I- Irrecoverable, you know. Yeah, it's harm that cannot be be reconciled. You're, you're going to have businesses that are going to be destroyed and are never going to come back. People's livelihoods crushed, and the level of unemployment at this point is, is terrible. And I know we're handing out all these checks. I know we're, we got these these checks going out, and I see people swiping their their benefit cards mm. on the terminal. But that's not the answer. I mean, we're we're racking up a tremendous amount of debt. Right. So when I think about it, the, the, for me, the the solution is two words and that's called civil disobedience. Yeah. And that means that businesses and churches and organizations need to start opening up in mass. They can't arrest all of us. Right. Right. They can't. So we, we need to stop waiting for health officials, government experts to tell us when we can open up. If we do, it's, it's, it's already too late in many respects. So yeah, that's my, that's my soapbox rant.
6: <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, for me, I do not recall another time in my life Uh, where the government had this much control. And obviously we live in California. So the, the government here has more control over our lives than it would in other states. But still, even for a Californian, this is on another level, just completely stopping your life. I mean, it doesn't affect me because I homeschool, but everybody else, I mean, they freaked out when they shut down the schools. You know, all of these parents are like, what do I, what am I going to do? I have to take care of my own kids now. You know, they shut down the schools. You have to wear a mask everywhere. I still don't put on the mask unless they make me.
4: Well, what about those people that drive around in their cars by themselves (laughs) wearing
6: masks? What is that? Or like, I see people walking around my neighborhood with a mask on. I'm like, are you worried about, by themselves? Are you worried about infecting the trees? Right.
4: I was standing in line at the bank and I know I sent you this picture of the the Asian lady that had the Tupperware container on her face it was held on my bungee cord. Yeah. yeah. I'll send that to you, Brooke, if you haven't seen it. It's it's pretty damn funny. Um, yeah, I thought I'd one upper and show up with a fish tank on my head the next day. Do it. Yeah.
6: It's just for it's a culture of fear. Right. I hate it.
4: Right. No, it is. It is. And we're all buying into this. We got to wear masks. We're, we're going to be wearing masks for the rest of our freaking lives. That's how I feel. It's just crazy you know?
6: to be so scared that you're walking around the neighborhood with a mask on. But at the same time, you're like, free all the criminals from prison. <laughs> right. It just makes no sense to me.
4: Right. Well, on a more upbeat note, Hillary Clinton continues to do strange interviews on Zoom. <laughs> Warn us all about the threat of more Russian election interference, because, as we all know that 's the only reason she lost four years ago. Only this time, Bill was mysteriously sitting behind her in silence. By the way, before we pay this, play this clip, you almost have to see the the visual on this because Bill just looks Ugh, so he, yeah not he looks just miserable like this is your punishment bill. you got to sit in the <laughs> room with this lady anyways, can I play that clip?
6: And these people will stop at nothing. And yes, the Russians helped them last time. The Russians are (laughs) helping them now. And you cover the White House. You know that the White House has said, don't brief the Congress. Don't even tell
1: them in classified settings what the Russians are doing this time.
6: Ugh, it's like nails on a chalkboard every time I hear her voice. It is
4: terrible. It is terrible.
6: Can you imagine if we had just had to sit through four years of that?
4: That would have been bad. And let's hope we don't have to sit through four years of Kamala Harris, because that's pretty close. Her nasally old voice. Yeah. It's bad. Trying to sound cute and sweet. No, It's bad. So fake. So phony. (laughs) So, um, it's also, it's been a few years since we've heard about a white professor pretending to be black. Cause you got to hear that every so often, you know, yeah like at least once every couple months and resigning in disgrace. So we were long overdue. Jessica Krug, a professor of history at George Washington university, specializing in Africa, Latin America, colonialism, <laughs> and imperialism was found out this week after she wrote her own admission on the website medium and Krug wrote for the better part of my adult life. Every move I've made, every relationship I've formed has been rooted in the napalm toxic soil of lies. She's so poetic. (laughs) To an escalating degree over my adult life, I have eschewed my lived experience as a white Jewish child in suburban (laughs) Kansas City under various assumed identities within a blackness that I had no right to claim. (laughs) First North African blackness, then U.S. rooted blackness. Then Caribbean-rooted Bronx blackness. (laughs) Say that three times fast, Jody Swan. Here's what Krug sounds like as a fake black activist when she's out protesting for BLM.
3: I got a couple of things to say. And when y'all come on and tell me my time stops... Out of here. It's been seven hours. Not only did I have to listen to these cops, and not just the cops, but to be honest with y'all, city council members, you posing like you opposing them for your sound bites, for your social media, for your re election campaigns. Out of here. You've been supporting the cops in the pandemic.
6: Unbelievable. This woman was a professor at George Washington.
4: Yeah, she speaks Ubonics really well, though, by the way. I got to give her credit. Why
6: for do people send their kids to college? Why would you pay? Maybe six figures to send your kids to a, a you know supposedly reputable college, and this is the professor.
4: She probably got a promotion. I would bet, bet after this. Unbelievable. So she, yeah, she's an expert once again in in Africa, Latin America, colonialism, and imperialism, and she's actually a Jewish, she's a Jewish princess from Kansas City.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say yes, please that racism cannot possibly be so bad in America when we've got Jewish white girls who just want to be black, that's what they want to do with their lives. They just want to be black. They want to be Caribbean black. They want to be Bronx black. They want to be Africa black, whatever she said. Like, are we really that racist that all the white girls want to be black now?
4: Well, apparently, you know, and and they, of course, they've been arguing for a long time that the Democrat party was the party of minorities. This turned out to not be true (laughs) because recent surveys have shown that 90% of Democrat registered voters in Virginia were actually old white men in blackface. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways, oh boy,
6: I'm just saying there's yeah. nowhere better to be a black person than the United States of America when all the white girls want to be black
4: and no and no better place to be a Jewish princess either. I yeah, might absolutely. Right. So we were also, you brought up a, uh, the, the LA public health directors. We're, we're all wondering when's this stuff going to end, right? When's this thing all going to end? I've already heard Halloween's going to be canceled, Jody Swann. So I know you got kids. So I think your Halloween plans may be out the window. What I thought is maybe <laughs> take the kids out and just tell them, tell everybody they're protesters and they'll be allowed to go out then. And we're, they can actually extort people for candy instead of asking for we're it. We're
6: coming to the bike shop. Get ready. There
4: we're going to tear it apart. <laughs> oh, nice. Thanks for the warning. <laughs>
6: Yeah. The, well, now the public health director in L.A., she was caught on tape mm. saying that the schools are going to be shut down until, quote, after the election. So if you were wondering if any of this was political, there's your confirmation.
4: Hmm. Nice. Can you believe that? I'm, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. No, I don't think no.
6: so. No. OK. And, what, not.
4: and what's what's the logic on this? Why do you, you keep things locked down because they think it helps their side? Keep Joe Biden in the basement so he can't come out and speak <laughs> and, and destroy his election chances?
6: Uh, apparently so so here's what she said yeah please she said we don't realistically anticipate that we would be moving to either tier two or to reopening k-12 through schools at least until after the election in early november
4: okay so we're gonna keep... i mean
6: that's pretty cut and dry
4: yeah it is so of course does she still have her job i'm sure why
6: yeah why is she using the election as the marker well, why then... why wouldn't it be a date Why wouldn't it be? We anticipate it's going to be December 1st. We anticipate it's going to be November fifth. No, it's after the election. Hmm.
4: And everything's just going to be fine after that. The coronavirus will mysteriously disappear after the the election.
6: As we've been saying. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. All right. Unbelievable.
4: Yep, yep. Well, and I do think, I think that, I mean, is this closed down? Does this help the Democrats? at I think these riots are actually hurting the Democrats. Really. 100%. Yeah, I, I think this is going to backfire. I think it's been going on for a long time, and I think normal, rational people that maybe fall in the middle politically are looking at what's going on around and seeing riots and looting and violence, and, and, and they're, just, they're just done. They're done yeah,
6: so. it's totally irrational. Sure.
4: All right, so that just about finishes the first half of the main event. The second half, we do have Ed's annual 9-11 tribute. Get out your tissues. It gets more moving every year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after news, traffic, and weather on AM 590, The Answer.
2: If you're over 62 considering a reverse mortgage, the lower the interest rates are, the more money you get on a reverse mortgage. And if you haven't even inquired about a reverse, you owe it to yourself to investigate this tremendous financing option. So if you're thinking about any of these, the time to act is now. For more information, call me at 855 640 2020. That's 855 640 2020. One last time, 855 640 2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. Ed
4: Hoffman, NMLS ID number EID number 1012658 Arizona MLO license number 0926439 Branch NMLS ID number 1841782 Summit Funding Incorporated NMLS ID number 3199 Arizona license number 0925837 Equal housing opportunity
0: AM 590 The Answer I think we're going to have to remember September 11 in its reality much the same way as we have to remember other horrific events in our history because somehow I think it pushes the human consciousness toward finding ways to avoid this in the future but if you um if you, if you censor it too much, if you try to find too many euphemisms for what happened, then I think you rob people of the ability to actually relive it and therefore motivate them to prevent it from happening in the future.
2: Welcome to the September 11th Tribute to the Main Event. I recorded this show the first time in September of 2008, my first year on the air with the Main Event. It's a combination of clips from uh, speeches and documentaries and, uh, and newsreels and movie clips and some music. To help you relive the emotions and the day that changed America, that changed the world, and uh, changed many of our lives. I lost a high school friend that was on Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon, so you can bet it had a profound uh, effect on my life. Don and I visited uh, Ground Zero for the first time in October of 2002, which was probably the most emotional, patriotic experience of our entire lives, that trip to New York. And we've been there at least 10 times since. This uh, project took hours and hours and hours to put together. I can dare you to try and keep dry eyes listening to this 25 minutes. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did putting it together. I'm interested in your comments. Send your comments to ed at edhoffman.net.
3: Enjoy. On a perfect, almost achingly beautiful late summer morning in early September 2001, a day of seemingly infinite visibility, one man later said, characterized by the rare and exquisite flying conditions airline pilots call severe clear. Life in New York and much of the rest of the contemporary world was changed irrevocably in the space of less than two hours.
0: September 11, 2001 was the worst day in the history of the city. Everyone in the city should remain calm. The very best thing to do right now would be to remain home. I could see from the very beginning with the number of casualties and the tremendous damage that was done, and even the thought that we'd probably be attacked again during that period of time, that this this was going to be really, really difficult. I'd ask the people of New York City to do everything that they can to cooperate not to be frightened to go about their lives as normal. Everything is safe right now in the city. And the people who are doing the relief effort need all the help they can get.
3: At 9:02 a.m., little more than 15 minutes after the attack, millions of people in the metropolitan region and tens of millions more across the country and around the world were staring intently at the smoldering skyline of lower Manhattan. When a dark shape appeared on the horizon above the New Jersey lowlands and came hurtling across the upper bay and then all of a
0: sudden i saw a, a big explosion of fire and at that point we all concluded obviously it was it was a ter- it was a terrorist attack i think that was the first point at which i realized that we were into something different than any any of us had ever prepared for or any of us had ever thought we would live through i realized i was in some kind of a horrible awful horrific human experience
5: i hear people say We don't need this war, but I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in you start your preaching let me ask you this my friend have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away have you forgotten when those towers fell we had neighbors still inside
1: resolve of our great nation is being tested. But make no mistake, we will show the world that we will pass this test. God bless.
0: I don't know if you guys know it yet, Washington this country's in war. Listen, I'm not. I'm not taking any more chances. We got stuff flying around we have no control over, and I don't want a board full of these planes hitting every building on the east coast. This is a national emergency. Everyone lands regardless of destination. That's going to
4: cost billions. Just a do it. Impact. We have hundreds of international flights coming in. They're already in the air. No,
0: no, I don't. I don't want any more international flights crossing the borders. They have to go back where they came from. Nobody's coming into the country from now on. Everyone. Everyone, shut off the East Coast. Shut off all the international Europe. Shut off South America. Shut off the West Coast. Nothing over the top either. Right, people, call Canada, yeah, uh-huh. Canada too. Yeah, shut down the
4: airspace. No, I can't, I can't accept in, anybody. Nobody takes off. Land take them. All. Take a moment. Right Think now. about this. We're going to put. We're going to shut down the entire country right now. That's right. Listen, we're at war with someone, and until we figure out what to do about it, we're
0: shutting down. That's it. We're finished. This was an attack intended to destroy us. Because we are a country that's built on principles of freedom. And because of free will, people get a chance to distinguish themselves. This wonderful American civilization emerges, which isn't based on any ethnic group. It isn't based on any one race. It isn't based on any one religion. It's based on people
3: believing in freedom. We heard things hitting the sidewalk. And I thought it was debris. And I think we all thought it was debris. And the windows on the west side of the building had already been blown out. So as I walked towards those windows, I realized it wasn't debris. These were people, people who were so desperate that they had jumped from whatever stories and they were landing. And it was a a constant, the shrill of the pop as they hit the ground. And think about people so desperate that they they would choose that. That way to die, and they had to know they're going to die. There's no way of, of surviving. And that, that image will never leave.
0: A mother described to me talking to her son on the telephone when the second plane hit. And that's the last time she talked to him. Another family described to me how their loved one had let two elevators go because he was older. And the people in the elevator were younger. And somehow my, my, my mind went back to the stories. And the things you read about the Titanic or you know, people who allowed other people to get on, get on boats. And they didn't get on the boat because they were older. And from that moment on, I started thinking that we'll never know all the heroes. We know our uniformed people were heroes. They went there and they died and they gave up their lives bravely trying to save the lives of other people. But what we don't know are all the individual stories of. The person who gave up the elevator for another person, the person who calmed someone and got them out of the building, the person who organized their floor so that everybody could evacuate, the person who maybe at the last, in the last moments, comforted people when all of them knew they were going to die. We've got over 300 firefighters that are missing that uh, we can't account for. We believe that
2: many of, uh, many of them are, uh, are, uh, are gone. We don't. Um, We'll keep looking Uh, We have hundreds of people over there now Trying to find as many possible locations That they might be in in some way In a void or whatever And, um, you know, still be able to breathe And and still alive But we believe that uh, most of these people I think are going to be uh, uh, Unable to,
3: to pull out Pastor, I gotta go down there Where? New York can't. If only emergency responders are being allowed in. I spent my best years with Marines. God gave me a gift to be able to help people to defend our country. I feel him calling on me now for this mission. And then find a way to listen, Dave.
0: And I started thinking about the people that might be trapped. Are there people trapped? If they are trapped, can they survive? And I remember thinking, this, I, this is like being in hell. Today is uh, obviously one of the most difficult days in the history of the city and the country. The tragedy that uh, we're all undergoing right now is something that we've had nightmares about, but probably thought wouldn't happen. My heart goes out to all of the innocent victims of this horrible and vicious act of terrorism, acts of terrorism. And our focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible. What's the
4: status here? The search has been called off. This whole thing is crap, man. Our guys are in there.
3: They're dying in there. It's like God made a curtain with the smoke, shielding us from what we're not yet ready to see. Do we know the number of casualties at this point, sir?
0: I don't, I don't think we, we really want to speculate about that. The number of casualties will be more than any, any of us can bear, ultimately. And I don't think we want to speculate on the number of casualties. The effort now has to be to save as many people as possible.
3: United States Marines, anyone can hear me, yell or tap!
0: Some of the information was too brutal. I think I said that day that I don't think people could handle the full implications. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that Beth's husband was Terry Haddon, who was, the, who was the captain of Rescue One. And I looked over and I said to her, Is, was Terry working today? And she said, yes. And his tears came down her eyes.
5: She looked at me and she said, he's dead. And I got angry. I said, you don't know that Beth, you don't know that. And she said, yeah, I know that. I felt it
1: and I know that. I was standing on the steps of City Hall. We all looked up, and I knew that Terry would have been one of on one of the, the highest floor that he could get to in that building because that's just what his company does. And when I saw the building come down, I knew that he had no chance. His friend Tim told me that he saw Terry going in, and Terry said to him, we may not be seeing each other again. And kissed him on the cheek, and ran up the stairs.
3: We lost all those firemen. We lost police. We had this fantastic contradiction of people who hated you so much that they were willing to give up their life to take yours, and people who loved humanity so much that they were willing to run into the Don building in the smoke and flame, and just to save the life of somebody they never met. And that ineffably beautiful. There's no better definition of love. There's no, there's no more inspirational, no more inspiring, no more near-to-saintly conduct that you can think of than what they demonstrated.
0: Everybody should, in their own way, say, say a prayer and ask God for help and for assistance and, uh, and also ask God to give us the strength to overcome this because I know we're, we're going to need strength to overcome it. And I want the people of New York to be an example to the rest of the country and the rest of the world that terrorism can't stop us. American democracy is much stronger than a vicious, cowardly terrorists, and we're gonna overcome
4: it. If you can hear me yell or tap! We hear you! Ah! Keep yelling!
5: 813! beating down! Gotcha! Hang on, hang on, okay? Don't leave us! We'll be here a long time! We're not leaving you, buddy. We're Marines! You are our mission! <laughs> that's great! Oh, that's great! He took all the footage off my TV. Said it's too disturbing for you and me. It'll just breed anger. That's what the experts say. It was up to me. I'd show it every day. Some say this country is just out looking for a fight. Well, after 9/11, man, I'd have to say that's right. Going through living hell, and we vowed to get the ones behind me alive.
1: Have you forgot? I want you all to know that America today, America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose lives were lost here. For the workers who work here, for the families who mourn, this nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you. I can
5: hear you. The rest of the world hears you.
1: And the people and the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon.
3: Chase Stadium served as a staging area for rescue supplies. And the New York Mets baseball team, overlooking its exalted status, banded together with other volunteers.
2: we got a, we got a box of t-shirts here.
3: People came in from Wall Street who had walked home and two days later, you know, I need to do something. I have to help. What can I do? I had that same feeling that that so many uh, other Americans had of just, I needed to do something. The Yankees, too, pitched in. Following the team's first post-9-11 gathering, manager Joe Torrey led a group of players on a goodwill trip downtown. We went to the armory, which was the most emotional, and we didn't really know if we should be
1: there. This is where families were all gathered to wait on word if their loved ones were alive. And if they weren't alive, uh, evidence that they weren't alive, so they were doing DNA samplings. I remember one very poignant moment when Bernie Williams went up to this woman and he was sort of fumbling and he, and he says, I don't, I don't know what to say. He says, but you look like you need a hug. And he put his arms around her and I, and I think sort of broke the ice to see that, you know, these people needed this. And I think at that point in time, I realized that there was a role for us.
0: But I'll never forget where I was and I'll never forget that day and I remember taking a bus home at night at about 11.30 at Amsterdam on 116th Street and how quiet the street was. There was an eerie silence like nothing I'd seen in more than 30 years of working there. And then I remember when the bus came that there was a sign around the little box there that said, no fare today. And I remember sitting on the bus and sitting opposite a young woman who was just crying. And I remember when I got off the bus at 83rd Street, she was still crying. I remember just putting my hand on her shoulder and I said nothing and she said nothing and I got off. But I'll always remember that woman. We have to cry and we have to mourn and we have to feel terrible and awful And on the way over here, I cried in my van because I had to go to the morgue to identify some. But the tears have to make you stronger. Every time you cry, you have to remember
3: that we're right and they're wrong. In the aftermath of September 11th, the mood of the country changed. Baseball games became communal gathering places for fans to express their emotions. And as much of the country turned a sympathetic eye to New York...
5: The Red Sox ask you to join us in a tribute to the spirit of the people of
3: New York. The city's baseball teams became the
0: objects of affection.
1: I could not, under any circumstances, ever imagine cheering for the Yankees. But I think America's sense of New York changed in September 11th and and the days afterwards. The face of New York changed. It was 343 New York firefighters who walked into the fires of hell to save strangers.
3: And it becomes very difficult to hate the Yankees. Another reason for the heightened security was the appearance of a guest from Washington. All of a sudden, there was a knock at the
2: door, and President
4: Bush walked into our
2: room.
1: Well, when you're president, all you have to do is say you're showing up, and they kind of ask you to throw out the first pitch, no matter what time of year it is. So I go underneath the Yankee Stadium, and the bowels of Yankee Stadium, and there's a hitting cage there. And he's wearing his bulletproof jacket, and he's getting his arm
2: loose, and Derek Jeter comes up to him. So I just asked him if he was going to be throwing the first pitch from the mound or in front of the mound. The president said, I think I'll throw from the base of the mound
1: cheater said i want to do that if i are you mr president and i told him uh you better throw it from the mound otherwise you're gonna get booed i said this this is yankee stadium i said okay i'll throw from the mound and he's walking out and he looks over his shoulder and he says don't bounce it they'll boo you all of a sudden the pressure mounted
3: the president of the united states
1: i'd never felt what i'd felt before when i walked out of that dugout I felt the raw emotion of the Yankee fans. USA!
5: USA!
0: USA! USA! The crowd just erupts in a chant of USA. There is nothing like it that I've ever experienced at a ballgame. It was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. President Bush is standing out there like a brick wall.
1: I'm not afraid of terrorists. I'm gonna stand all out here. I'm gonna give you a thumbs up and I'm gonna throw a
3: strike.
0: I didn't vote for him, but at that point, my personal feelings about him as a politician is gone. I watched him, and he was my representative, and I had never felt that way before. Very nice
5: throw, Mr. President. Good stuff, good stuff
0: at that moment everybody there was there for baseball and to show the world that in spite of what can happen to us, we'll pull ourselves together and what is our life and our way of life will continue.
1: United we stand. We stand together in the face of this threat. We will play baseball in the midst of the the beginnings of this war. No matter what the threat may be to us, the United States of America will stand strong and will never be intimidated.
5: Have you forgotten?
3: Everything into good you're a sculptor and you have a stone and the stone has a scar in it and well so now you have to sculpt around that scar and you've got to use that scar to, to make it part of whatever it is you're going to produce that's beautiful and um, work with what you have play it as it lies you know? so whatever the circumstance you know use it for a good purpose how can you possibly use it for good purpose? You think about it. You think, as uh, we've suggested before, you think about, look, what this reminds you of is the importance of your own life and making the most of it, because you you can lose it in a flash. And if that's all you learned from 9-11, if that's all you remembered, that, my God, you could extinguish life so suddenly, so unexpectedly, and it could happen to me, and therefore... I should think harder about the way I spend my life instead of just wasting it. Now, it's not going to teach you what to do with your life, but it will teach you to do with your life. God
5: bless you.
2: for listening to the September 11th tribute on the main event. I'm interested in your comments. Email them to me at ed at edhoffman.net. Also, if you want to share this tribute with anybody, you can find the podcast at edhoffman.net.
4: God bless us. The opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Summit Fund. Incorporated. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921, California DR, ID number 101265, Arizona MLO license number 0926439, branch MLS ID number 184172, ID number number
2: Hi, everyone. This is Ed Hoffman with Summit Funding and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM 590 The Answer. For those of you that are 62 or older and haven't taken the time to inquire into a reverse mortgage, here are some great reasons to consider one. One, you don't have to make monthly mortgage payments unless you want to. Interest rates are low, which means more money available, so if you've inquired before and it didn't work, it may work today. Calling to find out more details is free, so call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020, or go to edhoffman.net and click on the Summit Funding logo. AM590, the answer.